0: CD and DevOps podcast by the CD Foundation. I am your host, Jacqueline Salinas, Director of ecosystem, and community development. Thank you so much for joining us. It's episode 13 of season two, and today we are going to be talking about the state of DevOps survey. I am joined by Nigel Kirsten, field CTO from Puppet. At Puppet, Nigel is responsible for the product management and development of the initial versions of Puppet Enterprise, and he has served in a variety of leadership roles, including head of product, CTO, and CIO, and is currently field CTO. Nigel has been deeply involved in Puppet's DevOps initiative since the beginning of the DevOps movement and has been a primary author of the industry-leading state of DevOps report for the last decade. He speaks around the world about the adoption of DevOps in enterprise and IT organizations and works closely with many of Puppet's largest customers to assist with their transformation programs. Prior to Puppet, Nigel was an SRE at Google headquarters in Mountain View, where he was responsible for the design and implementation of the largest puppet deployments in the world and served as the technical lead for corporate Linux, Mac, and Solaris infrastructure. But before we dive into the state of DevOps survey, we are going to start off our episode with the segment, My DevOps Journey. Can you tell us about your DevOps journey?
1: So when I first honestly heard the term DevOps, I thought it was just a bit ridiculous. And I think maybe it was because I was coming at it from a relatively, you know, cynical system administrator ops background. And I probably hadn't understand understood the value of branding and labels since then. But I honestly just thought it was a little ridiculous. And that might have been because I was working as an SRE at the time and even my previous jobs as a system administrator. I'd always had to do programming as part of the job. And I I honestly hadn't been all that exposed to, I think, the mass and dark matter of particularly enterprise IT and how most IT environments in the world weren't ones in which system administrators were expected to write code, do testing, and sort of apply software engineering to the way they did operations. So for my DevOps journey, and I think there's actually even a tweet out there, which is quite hilarious of... I still think this whole DevOps thing is bollocks um, from way, way, way back in the day when I was still at Google. Um, But I guess as far as my DevOps journey has really been that when I I basically worked at a university, I had a small two-person IT team. All of my users, it was an art college, so all of my users were academics or students and artists, which was quite an interesting challenge. And we had no money. We had a very small understaffed team. And honestly, we had to write software to actually be able to do our job without going completely crazy. So that was sort of my first exposure to the ideas of sort of writing code and applying software engineering to operations. And then I came to Google, whereas I was an SRE, and whereas that that was the whole ethos. You were expected to sort of be a software engineer. So then I left Google and joined Puppet in the really early days. I think we were less than 10 people. And the whole DevOps movement really took off, and infrastructure as code and configuration management just became such an important pillar of DevOps. And so I really got to see as Puppet grew as a company and we started expanding from sort of startups and web scale companies into more traditional enterprise and that sort of much more massive world of the global 5000. Started to really see what DevOps sort of meant in terms of not just applying technology to problems, but creating an increased sense of collaboration, aligning incentives, and all of those different things that we sort of bubbled together as the loose collection of practices that we call DevOps these days. So that's sort of been my journey. Started off doing programming work, joined a vendor, and essentially spent a lot of my time these days helping really big companies scale out their DevOps practices.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Nigel. So today's main topic is the state of DevOps report and the need for change management. So as we dive into our main topic, what is driving you to do the state of DevOps report research this year?
1: So this year is an interesting one. So we, a few years ago, we developed an evolutionary model to, because, what we were hearing from people, we'd been doing lots of really great work over the years with the folks from Dora who went on to write the Accelerate book using a lot of the same research, was that we'd identified you know, core DevOps practices and core metrics around deployment frequency and basically managed to show that IT departments that implemented DevOps practices were more likely to be successful in core metrics and they were more likely to be delivering really good business outcomes, whether they're a non-profit or a profitable entity. But what we kept seeing when we were talking to customers is there were a lot of people who were very much stuck at the beginning and they had an idea what the shining light on the hill was of, well, you know, there should be two pizza teams, people operating with autonomy, developers and operations people wearing pages and singing in harmony. But I work in this enterprise IT environment with 100 years of process built up around it and all of these conflicting incentives. What do I do first? So in 2018 we developed the evolutionary model that really started to try and give people what's that first step? What's that second step? You know, should you implement CI/CD before you start implementing, you know, consistent version control across your organization? And so we mapped out an evolutionary model for people and essentially divided people into low, medium and high levels of evolution. Now what's inspiring this, this year's report is that it's the 10th anniversary, so it's a, there's a little bit of looking back and seeing, you know, what has this whole movement accomplished over the last 10 years. But what we've seen in the last couple of years is that people aren't getting beyond the middle stages of DevOps evolution. And one way to think about that is that in almost every, even the most dysfunctional IT technology environment – there's a couple of teams somewhere that are doing really well. And whether you call it DevOps, whether you call it Agile Operations, Lean, they're taking these principles around high degrees of automation and small batches and frequent measurement, and they're being successful with it. But very rarely are whole organizations being successful. And there's something inhibiting sort of wide scale success. And so that's what we've decided to focus on this year. What are those organizational cultural factors that inhibit expanding the success of these practices that often these organizations see work, um, yet they're still stuck and stuck in the middle?
0: So do you have a hypothesis of why teams are getting stuck in the middle? So
1: one of the parts of the model, and so one of the early definitions of DevOps, and there's been quite a few sort of competing and complementary ones was the CALMS model, C-A-L-M-S, culture, automation, lean, measurement, and sharing. And so, we use this as the pillar for a lot of our evolutionary model work. And what we've seen is that really it's culture. And before I sort of, you know, people break out the pitchforks of this, there isn't a single definition of culture. And I think often we label all sorts of problems inside organisations and with people interacting with each other as cultural problems. But we do have a few hypotheses around this space because it's not a technical problem. Everything we've seen from qualitative research, from anecdotes, from the surveys over the last couple of years is that almost everyone has the technological underpinnings to actually be really successful at this. But they're not, and there's things holding them back. And so we had a few different hypotheses. Um, One is that you can achieve a fair bit of cultural success, a fair bit of DevOps success, with implementing a few core technological principles, and two or three teams that are relatively similar to each other, like development and operations that are adjacent to each other, can work out how to collaborate, align their incentives, and be successful. But the further you spread throughout the organization and the further away, teams are organisationally, the more difficult this work becomes. And it's not the sort of thing that you can just mandate top down. So a lot of our theories this year and a lot of our hypotheses that we're testing around team interactions. And I can't go much further without giving a lot of credit to folks who we're really thrilled to have working with us on the report this year, Matthew Skelton and Manuel Pays from Team Topologies, who've written a really excellent book that I think just about everyone running an IT department or technology organisation should go out and read. And a lot of their theories that we're working with and testing are around team identity and team interactions. And so some of our hypotheses are that organisations where the teams have a solid, well-defined identity and well-defined interaction paradigms between those teams are the ones that are more successful. And anecdotally, this is the sort of thing I see with a lot of our more dysfunctional enterprise environments out there, which is that teams don't actually, they're not actually sure necessarily what their purpose is and what their relationship to another team should be. What is the relationship between this particular operations team and that particular application development team over there? What are their actual responsibilities? Where should they get to rely upon each other? Where should they collaborate together? And where should they be just delivering things as a service? Where should they be focusing on unblocking each other versus collaborating together on a solution? And I think it's all of those sort of inefficiencies between how teams interact with each other that's one of the really large blockers to scaling out these principles in an organization.
0: Wow, thank you so much. So you've been doing research for nearly a decade what has surprised you the most about your findings and in devops in general?
1: Well, I think the the top thing that surprises me is that this is the tenth year and that we're still talking about. it in some ways, I think that's that's kind of amazing. Um, and
0: you didn't expect that when you started this? No <laughs> I don't think so.
1: I think I think we you know we thought this was going to be interesting and we thought this was going to be something people would you know learn from. but the fact that I think, I think the big surprising factor for me is just how slow change is in terms of sort of most people's IT environments. And I think it's sort of worth reflecting on that a little because particularly when you when you work at a vendor, when you work sort of and live in the tech bubble, so to speak, it can feel like everything's moving really quickly and it is moving really quickly. You know, like cloud adoption's happening really quickly. The rise of Kubernetes has been amazing. Serverless is going to take over containers. And all of these things are true. And, you know, like we're seeing something like 95% of new IT spend is happening in the cloud. But at the same time, there is this massive, massive dark matter of legacy or heritage environments that just doesn't move anywhere near as quickly. And the more I've worked with a lot of these big companies, it's not really surprising that, you know, a 300-year-old bank that has built up processes over decades and decades and decades, and sometimes, you know, many of these companies predate you know, computer, microcomputers, let alone the internet, um, that these companies are sort of slow to change. And I think that's been the big lesson for me, which has been that really big organizations are really hard to create change in really, really quickly. And and so that sort of um, is an umbrella for a whole bunch of, I think, interesting findings. Um, to call out some specifically over the last couple of years, I'd say one of the big surprises for me was at one one year we surveyed people about what titles they used for their teams. And I've always been very much in the camp that DevOps is not a job title. It's not a team title. It's a way of working rather than a specific kind of role. It's like we don't call ourselves agiles. We don't call ourselves leans. we But yet we have DevOps engineers out there. And the surprising finding for me was that these people in organizations that use these terms were actually more successful than the average. And my hypothesis going into that year's report was they would be less successful. And I think to return to my earlier point about how slow it is for organizations to change, I think I undervalued the point of tribal signifiers and just being able to plant a flag in the ground and go, we are looking to change. And I think we've seen this with DevOps as a title inside a lot of these organizations that the good way of doing DevOps is People adopting these practices, maybe they call themselves these names, and the rest of the organization goes, "Ah, oh, they're trying to work in a fundamentally different way. I mean, on the flip side, you also have people who are sort of misusing the term DevOps as just development operations, and they're the people who just run the CICD systems, and they're not particularly collaborative with the developers they serve. So the label, tra- the label usefulness was a surprise to me at the time, but I think it's much less so now looking backwards.
0: That's very interesting. It sounds very much like the challenge is really much more cultural when it comes to organizations than it is perhaps like technical. Is that a fair absolutely. statement?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, I think it's difficult to work out how do you, how do you communicate change through an organization and particularly with something like DevOps that I think started off as very much a grassroots practitioner um, movement, you know, for, a long time, for many years, I would be going into meetings with you know, C-level execs and really senior management folks, and they were either cynical about, oh, this is just another fad that the IT industry is trying to sell me, or they just had no idea really what it was. And so I think one of the really fascinating results we found a few years ago was, so this was all inspired by, I was at a conference, at a DevOps conference, and there was a senior executive from a really large multinational up there talking about their really successful transformation, how they would adopted DevOps principles and they were doing all this incredible work. And the guy next to me happened to work at that same company and spent the whole time like muttering in my ear going, everything is the worst. Nothing has actually changed. This is just one small team. There are still thousands of us having to work in this terrible, terrible way. There is This is not a DevOps organization. So it got me thinking for that year. And so Alana and I decided to focus on is there a perception gap between executives, middle management, and practitioners in terms of these various practices and how widely spread they are and how useful they are? And we found this really, really incredible perception gap where executives were significantly more optimistic about the pervasiveness of a general DevOps practice than the people on the ground. And I think when you think about this, you start to see some of the big problems in a big enterprise, which is that people don't necessarily bubble upwards an accurate view of what's going on. You know, like if you're a sysadmin inside a large company and you accidentally bring a server down and no one really notices yet and you bring it back up, you're not going to go and tell your boss that. For example, we have an optimism bias in terms of the information that flows upwards. And it's actually caused me to realize that it's actually quite a difficult job being an executive of a really, really large department, like finding out what's going on. And at various points in my career, you know, like I've had 100-odd people reporting to me, it's really difficult to work out what is actually going on. And you've really got to sort of try and put the right guardrails in place and trust people to do the right things. But it's not surprising that when you get to these companies of twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 people and more, that it becomes very difficult to work out what is going on and how do I actually push change through this organisation. So, yes, to return to your question, I think most of the problems are cultural and As a friend said to me a while ago, and I've been trying to track down the quote that he referenced, was if you want to work with data, go and build consumer products because you're having to work with the data in aggregate. But if you want to work with people, build enterprise products because just about everything in the enterprise turns into a people problem at its core.
0: All right, let's talk about some major pain points practitioners are grappling with these days in the light of the cloud becoming an importantly uh, component of modern IT infrastructure?
1: Well, so I think part of the problem is that no one's fully in the cloud. Well, some companies are, but I think the bulk, the vast bulk of the organizations that are out there have one foot in either camp, they still have You can call it legacy, but it's also just working software that's powering the business and delivering value. But it's not as flexible. It's not as modular. It's not as agile as you would like it to be. And that stuff just sort of keeps running. And you have this very sort of modern stuff that you tend to be building all your new things on. And what we're seeing and that I see a lot of practitioners struggle with is they don't have the same capabilities in both spaces. So, for example, in a cloud world, you have an API for everything. You know, you have a certain degree of resilience. You can programmatically interact with your infrastructure, with the networking layer, the storage layer, the compute layer, and you can put all of these things together to have quite dynamic environments. And then you'll go go back to your on-premise environment and maybe the best thing you have is a VMware vSphere API to talk to, which is not giving you that sort of same degree of flexibility. So I think one of the challenges people face in hybrid worlds is that They don't have the same programmable capabilities, and there's nothing really stopping you implementing those same kind of cloud-native, you know, flexible API-first approaches on-premise. It just requires work, whereas in the cloud, you're essentially getting it for free. So one of the big struggles I see is people who are having to straddle both worlds. But on the cloud side in particular, I think we're seeing that the future role of operations is not running infrastructure because everyone will eventually move to the cloud, It feels pretty undeniable at this point. And so what does your job become? Well, your job becomes vendor management. It becomes gluing together different kinds of services that are being provided by someone else. It's working out how to create resiliency in the way you tie all these things together and how to do this in a way that operates at a much, much faster speed than the sort of speeds we've been used to on premise. So I think We're still seeing what the, the future of a fully cloudy world looks like for practitioners. But for me, at least, it feels undeniable that the skills that are going to be required are taking those same operations sensibilities and experiences, but working out how to apply them to gluing together other people's services. Sometimes at Papa, we refer to this as sort of the digital duct tape that people have where they're just working out, how do I just make A talk to B? and plug them into each other so that I can actually go and deliver something for my end users.
0: Of course. What advice and tips would you give organizations who are looking to scale their DevOps practices?
1: So I think the first thing I would say is um, there's, there's some approaches that we've seen definitely not work for a lot of organizations. And one of the big ones has been copying what the big tech companies do. And um, I get this a lot, having you know spent some time at Google. that It gets sort of fetishized by the rest of the industry, and you'll talk to people, and they'll be like, "Oh, we're going to implement SRE because that's what Google does, or we're going to implement two pizza teams because that's what Amazon does." And I think this sort of mindless importing of what's been successful for a relatively narrow demographic of technology companies, and trying to just wholesale import that into your organization is really sort of doomed to failure. And so I've seen this with a lot of large organizations of trying to implement the you know, two-pizza team at Amazon, for example, in their organization and go, <clears throat> we're going to have 200 DevOps teams. They're all going to make highly autonomous choices. But the reality is that it doesn't work unless you do some of the other things that Amazon did, which was build every single thing as a service, you know, have really great service discovery stuff, be willing to rewrite all of your software have a huge team of quite highly skilled software engineers who are, you know, all in on the mission, a lot of organizations don't actually have this. And so, what I, w- the tips I would give would be, don't just implement other people's frameworks, like think about your own business context and look at what makes sense given the, you know, the people that you have, the problems that you're facing, the regulatory pressures that you actually have, and but learn from those practices at the same time. So I'd, I think there's a few myths that we've often thought about as being, you know, essential to DevOps and one has been these idea of small autonomous teams. I'm, I'm no longer convinced this is a particularly efficient way to scale out things. And what we've seen work increasingly well over the last couple of years has been the platform team approach, where you take a product mindset to running operations and delivering it as self-service APIs to your development teams who are almost always going to outnumber the operations teams. And that this sort of specialization and specialized self-service infrastructure is a much more efficient way to run things than creating lots of small teams of developers and operations working together. So I'd say implement a platform team if you don't. But the bigger principle, to go back to some of the earlier stuff from the Team Topologies book, is work out what your teams, what are, what are their identities and how do you actually want them to interact with each other? And that has to be something you support as a senior leader um, and something you're willing to sort of buy into, I guess, if you're a practitioner.
0: Great. Thank you so much for those tips and advice. Are there any books you would recommend uh, based on the current IT literature that you would want us to also take a glance, deep dive into them or (laughs) you recommend for the community to to check out?
1: (laughs) So I, I I do like reading quite a lot. Um, definitely team topologies. I can't say enough good things about that book. Accelerate, uh, written by Dr. Nicole Forsgren, Jez Humble and Gene Kim, is a really fantastic book. Um, as much as I bagged out SRE a little bit in some of the earlier comments, I'd say the SRE books that Google has produced are really, really good, um, as is the DevOps handbook. And I think that all of that, I, I guess, represents a pretty core sort of set of reading materials. I'd say as far as the SRE book goes, read the SRE book. um, But again, don't just adopt it like a religion. Look at the things that are useful to you and think about whether you have the same kind of organisational constraints. But definitely the DevOps handbook and the SRE workbook are both really, really useful in terms of practical exercises for incrementally improving things. And I guess that would be my final bit of advice to folks, which is that If you're in a very waterfall, heavy, slow delivery mechanism world, don't try and do your transformation project in that same kind of waterfall way. You should try and incrementally improve your way to success rather than looking for that one big bang and launching a single framework that will fix all your problems.
0: Absolutely. And one last thing, Nigel, can we talk a little bit more about the State of DevOps survey? Um, can you give us some dates uh, how folks can go and fill it out and also when it'll be published?
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure I'm assuming we can send out the link um, somewhere, but the survey is open now um, and we're definitely looking for as many respondents as possible. And we're donating $5 US to for each completed response to one of three charities of your choice that you get to choose at the beginning of the survey. So for the next couple of weeks, the survey is open and then the results will be coming in and we'll be writing out the report and look for in the next couple of months, we will be releasing the, the findings. And again, a lot of this stuff, we expect to be around team interactions and how they interact with each other um, and how that indicates whether an organisation is successful or not.
0: Wonderful. Yes, I will include a link to the survey in the episode description. So folks can check that out to go and fill out this, this survey. And Nigel, it was great having you as a guest. Thank you so much for joining the pipeline.
1: Thank you for having me.